0: Welcome to the Make That Money Honey podcast. I'm your host, Sandra Jo, and each week I will be bringing you a combination of interviews and solo episodes with industry leaders in finance, entrepreneurship, and women in business. As a former certified financial planner turned financial coach and entrepreneur, I will be sharing my knowledge on how to have better conversations about money within your marriage, relationships, and family dynamics. I will also be teaching fundamental financial literacy about all of the topics that you wish you learned in school. This podcast will get you to think outside the box, create more abundance in your life, and improve your money mindset. So make sure to follow and tune in weekly, and it would mean the world to me if you shared these episodes with a friend and left me a five-star review. welcome back for another episode of the Make That Money Honey podcast. I am so excited for all of your feedback that you gave me around the 75th episode about how I talked about some of my hardest times during 2022. And thank you all so much for all the listeners who have joined me in this amazing journey that has been such a rewarding experience. So I have had And a huge influx of new private clients within my business in 2023 so far, they have all been coming from warm introductions. So existing clients, either financial planners that I've worked with or other professionals. And the common theme that a lot of these clients are asking about is property. So there's a couple of questions. There's obviously the conversation about your primary residence. So where you decide to live with your family and also the topic of investment properties. So in Canada and in Australia and in the US they all have very different property markets. However, the same the same concept right now is the same is that interest rates are high. People's it's definitely a buyer's market. So what that means is buyers are having more of a negotiation price. They're being able to get lower priced properties because they have the buying power. They are the ones that hold the money. They are the ones that are making the decisions about if they can afford and want to purchase a property in this unattractive buying market, meaning that the interest rates are quite high. So What we are going to be discussing today are some of the considerations around buying property within a tumultuous market like we're in now and what some of the opportunities and risks are and some strategies around property so that if you decide to get in during this time, you've got some extra tools in your belt to be able to make this decision a little easier. But before we begin, I do want to mention that this is for general information only. It is for educational purposes only. It should not be construed as financial advice. You should always consider your personal circumstances before taking action on any of these strategies and whether it suits you based on your goals and objectives and your own personal financial situation. Okay, now that we got the boring stuff out of the way, let's talk property. Firstly, I want to touch on your principal place of residence. This is going to be potentially your first-time homeowner, your first property that you ever buy, and there are lots of things that you need to consider around purchasing a property. So the first thing is, how much of a down payment or deposit do you want to put down? usually in most countries if you put down less than 20% you will have to get some sort of mortgage insurance which you'll have to pay a premium for and that will either be added to your mortgage amount or it will be billed to you monthly. So this is not a huge hurdle a lot of people look at this and they're like oh I don't want to pay an extra fee but if it means that you can get into the market five or 10 years earlier because you only have a 10% down payment and you don't have the ability to save a 20% down payment with any level of speed, then it actually might be worth your while to take on this mortgage insurance because if it means that you can get in the market like two or three years earlier, you're going to get that capital appreciation or increase in property value much sooner. And and be able to pay off that extra bit of insurance at a much faster rate if you are able to get some growth on that property. So that is one consideration. So don't let that be a roadblock of getting you into the property market in the first place. Some people think that they just absolutely need this 20%. Now, obviously, your affordability has to match this. So... If you are putting 10% down, you need to make sure that you can well and truly afford your mortgage payments because you're going to be borrowing a slightly higher amount, call it 90% of the property value instead of 80, which means your mortgage payments are going to be higher every month because you're borrowing more money. So if we then look at what it would be to put a 20% deposit down... If you're putting a 20% deposit, and let's say your property value is $500,000, so you're putting down $100,000, which is 20% of $500,000, you're taking out a mortgage on the remaining $400,000, and you are not required to pay any mortgage insurance because you have put down more than 20%. So this is great news. You're not paying extra fees. Your mortgage is going to be lower. But we know that in times like these where inflation is high, it can be very hard to save that extra 50 grand because if you were to put 10 grand uh, sorry, if you were to put 10% down, it would only be $50,000 up front. However, if you put 20% down, it's going to be 100000 So it could take you an extra four or five years to save that extra 50000 to be able to meet the 20% down payment. So you have to ask yourself, well, what really is the cost of me taking out this mortgage lender's insurance? So let's just assume for a moment that you have bought your principal residence for $500,000, you put 20% down, you've got a $400,000 mortgage, and for argument's sake, we're going to say that your mortgage rate is 5%. So if we look at what you should do with your extra disposable income every month, and you've started to make your your mortgage payments, and let's say they're $2,500. So you're starting to make your mortgage payments, and you realize that, in in theory, you've budgeted for $3,000 a month. And you go, what do I do with that extra $500? Do I start to put it into investments into the share market? Should I be putting it into savings for an emergency or rainy day? Should I be paying off my mortgage faster? There's so many different options. You could also be contributing it to some sort of retirement plan, uh, whether you're in the US, like a 401k or an IRA. Or if you're in Canada, it could be an RRSP or TFSA, or in Australia, a superannuation fund and you look at what are all these different options. And the problem is, is that there's so many different options out there. They all have different tax implications. And there's really nobody telling you who what to do with your money and what is the best use of this money, because it's going to depend so much on your personal circumstances. This is why I started my business as a financial coach, because every person's Circumstances are unique. No two people have the same goals. They know two people have the same jobs, the same future, the same amount of savings, investment knowledge, etc. etc. Some people have family help, some people completely do it on their own. Some people might have large student loans or personal loans, some people have none. So It's really important that before considering any of these strategies, you speak to a professional, whether it be a financial advisor, whether it be me, myself as a financial coach, or somebody that you trust that has the knowledge and expertise to point you in the right direction based on your own circumstances. So I'm going to run through a couple of scenarios of of saying, where would your money be best used or what are a couple of different options that you can use that extra $500 a month should you have it and should you have a mortgage. So right now in the economic environment at the time of recording this, it's March, 2023. So there's obviously going to be things that are going to change depending on when, when you listen to this episode, but right now interest rates are high. They're continuing to go up every quarter in America, in Canada, in Australia. Those are the three main countries that I focus on for this podcast. And what we're seeing is that it is putting immense amount of pressure on homeowners. Their mortgage rates are going so high that it's beginning to put a lot of pressure on their consumer spending because when mortgage rates go up, Our mortgage payments go up, which means we have less dollars in our pocket. Less dollars in our pocket at the end of the month means that we have to cut back on our discretionary spending. We're not eating out as much. We're not shopping. We're not going to retail shops. We're not traveling as much. Because ultimately, if we were used to paying $2,000 a month and our mortgage has now gone up to $2,500, something that is completely beyond our control, we now have $500 a month less spending power. So you have a couple of different options. You either A, start making more income, which is what a lot of people have started to do, whether they've started a side hustle, an online business, maybe joined a network marketing company, started taking online clients instead of just in face, face-to-face clients, and they're starting to maximize their time and be more efficient with their time. So being more efficient with your time includes things like adopting new technology so you can do things faster. There's not as much manual labor in your business. Maybe it's an invoicing system. Maybe it's a virtual assistant to help you get back to emails, so you're not spending as much time doing administrative work in your business. Whatever it may be, business owners are becoming more and more savvy around how can they increase their income because their cost of living is increasing. So if you haven't started doing that, that would be the number one step. Secondly, we're going to look at how can you cut your costs? Where are some of the places that you are leaking the most cash? Usually it's three different places for my clients. It's eating out, which is separate from ordering in and then it's online shopping. And online shopping doesn't necessarily just be restricted to clothing and shoes, but it can be also things like technology, gadgets, buying things on Amazon Prime, getting deliveries all the time, maybe it's supplements, maybe it's vitamins. Things that you want, but you don't necessarily need. You have a backlog of these things in your house. You've got 10 sweaters. You've got five pairs of boots. You've got 13 pairs of running shoes, and you've got supplements that could last you another two, three months. It's really important during these times that when you are cutting back on your spending, asking yourself, do I really need this or can I survive without it for another month or two? Because as we know, cash is king and sometimes just stretching out when you need to spend that money can go a long way for your cash flow and for your bank account because then maybe you're not paying interest on that $30, $40, $50 item that you've got sitting on your credit card if you're running a credit card balance every month. These are just some small strategies of just using up what you've already got so that you are not needing to spend that money until the absolute last possible moment, especially if you've got personal loans. Then we're looking at, okay, now we've cut back our expenses, we're not eating out as much, maybe we're doing some food prep, or if you live with a housemate or a partner, you guys are going in on expenses together and you're cutting back, you're looking at ways of building your income and thinking outside the box as I've mentioned in so many of my different podcasts, you really need to have more than one income stream. In this day and age, there is so much change and uncertainty with our jobs, with our incomes, that it really is important to have multiple streams of income. So if you only have one business, one form of income, if you're a personal trainer, you only do face-to-face clients, These are kinds of ways that you are putting yourself at risk in a changing economy. you got to start thinking outside the box and start thinking about ways that you can boost your income so that if and when you do decide to buy a property, you are not going to put yourself at risk of being unable to afford your mortgage payments because of a change in your income. Mortgage payments should be your number one priority when you do own a home. So making sure that you've got sufficient cash in the bank for call it two or three or four months mortgage payments as an absolute emergency so that if anything goes wrong with your job, with your career, with your business, with your maintenance on your property that you've got the ability to continue to pay those mortgage payments so that you're not negatively affecting your credit rating and your future refinancing and borrowing capacity. So when we look at mortgages, our principal place of residence, we always want to borrow less than we can afford. So if you can afford a $400,000 mortgage and that is your absolute max borrowing capacity, I strongly, strongly suggest not borrowing the absolute max because if interest rates do rise, which we've seen in the recent months, It can put an immense amount of pressure on you, your ability to pay them, it might put pressure on your relationship, on your family, you might have to make significant changes to your lifestyle in order to continue to pay your bills. So we want to just take a slightly more conservative approach, especially in these times if you are looking at getting into new property, you are a first-time homeowner, maybe borrowing $380,000 or just a little bit less than what you're approved for because the banks are always going to want you to borrow at the max capacity. That's how they make their money. But just being a little more conscious of having a little bit more of a buffer when it comes to your mortgage value. So that's number one. Then coming back to my original discussion of, let's say your mortgage payments are $2,500. We go, okay, in our budget, we anticipated our mortgage was going to be $3,000. So we've now got this extra $500 a month that we can do something with. What are our options? Now, we know our interest rate is 5% on our mortgage. We know that we could put it into direct shares. We know that we could put it into some sort of retirement savings plan. We could keep it in cash. We could buy clothes with it. We could do so many different things a couple of ways that you can get ahead. Number one, strategy is paying more of your mortgage down faster, which you know that the automatic savings to you is going to be 5% interest. So for every $500 that you're putting onto your mortgage, you're not only reducing the principal value of the mortgage, but you are also reducing the amount of interest that you have to pay on that principal amount of mortgage. So you're getting ahead by paying off the value of your mortgage faster, and you're saving yourself 5% on any future dollars of a compounding effect that your mortgage has. By paying off more than just what's required of you, you are going to be accumulating more capital appreciation, more capital equity within your property, meaning that you own more of your house faster. So that's option number one, putting your extra $500 onto the value of your mortgage so that you can pay off your mortgage faster, save yourself more money and interest, and ultimately own more of your house. The reason you would want to own more of your house is that if you do decide to sell it one day and you originally paid $500,000, you've now reduced your mortgage to $300,000, you've paid. You know, 200 grand or 100 grand off of your mortgage, and now you're selling it for 600 grand, you now own $300,000 of equity following the sale of that property. So you may have to go back and listen to some of these numbers again if it's going over your head or if I'm moving too fast. But for those following along, I'm going to keep moving. Okay, so what are some of your other options that you can do with this extra $500 a month? You could absolutely put it into the share market. And I highly recommend that if you are new to investing in the stock market, you look at getting into what's called an ETF Or an index fund, something that is going to be highly diversified, something that is going to give you exposure to multiple different companies, multiple different industries, so you're not putting all of your eggs in one basket and going into just direct shares like Apple, Amazon, Google, whatever. We all know these blue chip household names but you can still get access to these amazing companies by putting your money into an index fund as well such as the S&P 500, the ASX 300, any of the you know Dow Jones, the Nasdaq, anything like that, you can get into these types of index funds. I personally like to use Vanguard. I find that they've got the most inexpensively managed index funds. But again, you've got to do your own research, understand the industries that you want to get into. Do you want to get into a broad spectrum index fund? But the cool thing about index funds is that you get exposure to multiple different companies so that if one company goes under, it's going to have a very minimal impact on your overall position because you've got all these other companies that are going to outweigh that one company that just went down. So you've got the option of getting into the share market and getting into index funds. Now, an even deeper layer is how do you want to invest into those index funds? Do you want to do it in a tax effective account like a TFSA or RRSP or a superannuation fund? Or are you doing it in a non-registered personal investment account where any growth or sales or capital gains of those of those shares would have to be taxed at your personal marginal tax rate. These are all considerations that you definitely need to consider when speaking with a financial coach, a financial planner, or an investment advisor. Your third option is just putting that extra money into cash. It's, it's essential that you have an emergency cash buffer. An emergency cash buffer really means that if anything comes up in your life, an unexpected medical bill, an unexpected maintenance bill on your property, maybe your car needs a big repair, your dog needs a surgery at the vet, something that is an unexpected large expense, call it five or $10,000 expense, that you've got the cash available to be able to pay for this. You don't want to be relying on credit cards, personal loans, any kind of debt financing to pay for emergencies because that is going to put even more financial stress and pressure on you if something like this goes wrong. I know personally that I have a dog and if she ever had to go into surgery, I would not want to have to think twice about paying for that surgery, even if I had pet insurance and all these other things. You still don't wanna to have to second guess your decision about should I make the car repair, should I pay for the pet surgery, should I be will I be able to pay my mortgage this month if I don't get any clients or if I don't, you know, if something happens, if my gym floods or something like that. You always have to have an emergency cash reserve to pay for at least a couple of months of your living expenses so that you know that in the case of emergencies, you can pay your mortgage pay for whatever that emergency is and still have some money left over so you can keep food on the table and pay your bills. This is finance 101 guys. If you are not getting this, if you do not have at least, you know, two or three months of living expenses in the bank, you are putting yourself at serious risk. You are not being financially responsible and you should be doing everything you can to put some money aside, whether it's five, 10 grand into a bank account that you just Don't touch. It is for emergencies only. Okay. Rant over an emergency cash buffer. So if you don't have that and you've got this extra $500 a month, I strongly, strongly recommend that you're putting this extra $500 a month into a cash bank account. Now you can put it into a high interest savings account. I know there's a lot of high interest savings accounts out there that are, you know, giving 2 to 3% interest. So you can still get some money on your money, but at least you're starting to build up your savings for any of those unexpected expenses or change in job status, change in income status, because you just never know. And the biggest thing that I hear from clients is that the number one goal they have with working with me, even if they earn a hundred, two hundred thousand $200,000 a year, is that they want financial security. Financial security is the most important goal for every single one of my financial private clients. So I'm giving you these tips now that you can have financial security just by putting yourself in a situation that if an emergency happens, you've got some money in the bank to be able to pay your bills, especially when it comes to property. So then the next way that you can look at it is, what if you already have money in a cash bank account? What if you already have money in some stocks, your mortgage is taken care of, then you can start saving towards your next property. How to save for your next property, there's a couple of different strategies. You can either save cash in the bank, which we know is not giving you a very good return, maybe 2 or 3% in a cash bank account, or if you start to pay off your principal place of residence mortgage faster, so where you're currently living, whether it's an apartment or your house, if you start paying off that mortgage faster, when you eventually go and buy your second property, your investment property, you can borrow against your existing property without having to sell it, and you can Fully leverage up to whatever the loan value ratio is amount that you're approved for in your principal place of residence to borrow equity from your personal home to buy your second home. So I'll come back to my previous example. Let's say we bought our property for five hundred thousand. We had a four hundred thousand dollar mortgage, but we've paid off a hundred grand of that mortgage. So our mortgage is now sitting at three hundred thousand. We just had a property assessment done on this place, and it's now worth $600,000. Now that it's worth $600,000, you can borrow against this property to get the down payment for your next property. So let's say we bring that loan-to-value ratio back up to 80%. We are now borrowing, call it an extra two hundred grand or hundred and fifty grand off of our original property, we're taking out that mortgage, so now our mortgage goes up to four We're taking that $150,000 out of our original property. We're now using that $150,000 as the down payment for the second property. It's equity that you already own in your first home. You're leveraging your first home as collateral to borrow for your second home. This is a fantastic strategy if you are looking at accumulating more than one property because you're saving yourself in interest by paying off your original mortgage faster, you're building up equity in that original property, then when the time comes, you've built up your credit rating, you've got good borrowing capacity, you've got stable income, you've got proof of income for more than a couple of years, and you've made some headway with your bank in terms of proving that you can pay off your mortgage on time, then you can start looking at getting your second property. These strategies are very, very common. It's how people use property to get ahead. Then they can also flip properties. So if they decide that they want to move from their original into a larger property or a second property, they want to renovate it, they want to sell it for more than they paid, All of these different strategies are fantastic for getting yourself ahead financially using the property method, especially if you are living in these properties. If you purchase a property and then you live in it and then you sell it, you don't have to pay capital gains tax on it, which is a huge savings if you are especially buying in a high growth area where your property value has increased significantly, you do want to check that in your area, how long you have to live in the property. Sometimes it's six months, sometimes it's 12 12 months. In order for you to get that residency status within that home but that can save you thousands of dollars when you do eventually decide to flip it so if you are into property flipping this is a strategy that I work with some of my clients on we look at the tax implications we work directly with their accountant on this and we come up with strategies timelines and affordability of how they can do these property flipping strategies so there's obviously a lot to cover on this, but the really cool thing about property is that there is so much to learn. There's a lot of money to be made in it, but it's worth doing your due diligence so you know all of the risks, all of the expenses, and all of the ins and outs around buying property because it is a complex, complex situation and investment so you definitely want to make sure that you understand all your agents fees all your time requirements of how long you need to be in the property for of all different kinds of things like this so make sure you reach out to a specialist whether it be your financial coach myself of uh, a real estate agent, a mortgage broker or your financial planner to see if this strategy is right for you. I work directly with other professionals in creating these types of strategies for my clients and setting up the timeline and the plan of how they can do this, how they can afford it, and what makes the most sense for them given their own personal circumstances. So if you loved this podcast, please share it with a friend. If you're into property and you want to know more, make sure you reach out to me. Make sure you give this episode, a like, download it, send it to a friend. And I would absolutely love if you could jump onto Apple podcasts and send me a rating and review or a rating on Spotify. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. And if you love this episode, please share it to your Instagram story and tag me at sandra.m.joe. I would be forever grateful if you left me a five-star review and sent it to a friend so that I can reach as many people as possible. For more information, on my financial coaching and how we can work together, check out my website at sandrajoe.com. And until next time, have a great day and go make that money, honey.